This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a volunteer-based community access station. For more information, go to www.radiokidnappers.org.nz. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this program available through funding the Access Internet Radio Project. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. This is a program called Real Wealth, and it's our pleasure, as always, to have in the studio Nick Stewart from the Stewart Group. How are you going, Nick? Very good, thanks, Ken. Nice to see you again. Good to see you. Now, just remind our listeners, Nick, what the Stewart Group is all about and how long you've been here. Sure. Stewart Group's been running now for 32 years, and we provide financial services to um, the good citizens of Hawke's Bay. Indeed you do. Now, we've uh, got a couple of great topics to, uh, to discuss today, but before we get there... The dust has just about settled on the budget. Was it a good one moving forward, do you think, for people that you're going to be talking about today? Oh, I think it was pretty much steady as she goes. Mm. It was, um, you know, people have labelled it a national light budget. Yeah. And, you know, look, it was pretty much uh, the status quo, you know, a continued social investment. Um, you know, there's a fairly large piece of tax work that's coming through from a, a group called the Tax Working mm-hmm. Group. A whole lot of uh, professional tax doyens of our nation are getting together and um, formulating some ideas and they will be put forward, I understand, with the 2020 election, but we'll probably start to seize the shape of that towards the year end. But but really there wasn't a lot in it for uh, the business community on right. this one, if you, investors. Pick, if you had to pick a good point from the budget, what was it for you? Uh, to be, to be <laughs> honest, there wasn't one. To be honest, it was... <laughs> There wasn't much in it for, for, well, there was nothing really notable that I saw. I mean, that, that, that was the way I saw it. It was very much uh, the status quo. You know, a lot of people were really revved up to see all of these major changes that they were hoping, you know, following an election. But but really, there wasn't really that much there. What was missing? Uh, I think people were wanting a bit of a wow factor, a change, a bit of a jolt to the left, so yeah. to speak. And... And it just wasn't there in this budget. And look, you know, they've got, they've got some pressures there, but I mean, the tailwinds of the phenomenal amount of extra tax revenue that's been collected, um, by this government, um, which is over and above what national forecast was going to be there. I just thought they might have had a bit of wriggle room for something a little bit more inspiring, which, and I guess, look, post budget feedback, no one's really happy. No. There isn't a sector that's saying, you know, clap, clap, bravo, this is awesome. Everyone's pretty much quite doer about it. What sort of effect will that have on the average Joe Blow that you're targeting through this program? And we're talking about looking after your wealth, moving forward, getting a better return on your investment. And bearing in mind, petrol is going to mm. go up, and they're saying maybe even three dollars a litre by the uh, yeah. in another six months' time. What's that going to do for investors that you're seeing on a day to day basis? Well, the budget had nothing in it for the investors that we work with, and 
um, really a lot of the budget was around um, putting a larger social umbrella or blanket underneath society and that's really about the state looking after people rather than people looking after themselves. So yeah. so really there wasn't any anything of note that I would look at. Reading between the lines, Nick, you might be saying that a, a left-wing government for the next three budgets is not going to get any better. Well, <laughs> you could say that, but then I would have to say that some of the some of the more innovative solutions that our country has found have been from um, Labour governments. Yep. Okay, let's move on to uh, a couple of topics that we've got sure. on the agenda today, and one of them is the Australian Royal Commission of Inquiry. Why, why should we be talking about that? <laughs> well, hey, look, um, Australia is our big brother across the ditch. Um, we tend to copy quite a lot of their legislation. Uh, a significant portion of New Zealand um, financial services businesses are either cornerstone or wholly owned by Australian financial institutions, e.g., the you know the the big banks. And what's happening with that Royal Commission of Inquiry is, mm, in, it's a train wreck. Yep. It's been absolutely brutal what's come out. Uh, a lot of politicians who defended those institutions have since, um, you know, rescinded what they said and have said, wow, we had no idea that these things were going on, you know, such as, you know, um, deceased portfolios being charged advisory fees, um, just terrible advice processes. Now, look, in any financial services market, if you go digging, you will find sure. bad things. No one can say they are lily white and angelic because, you know, the harder you dig and the deeper you dig, the more you will find. And that's what they've found in Australia. And it will flow over to here. And I know that our press, along with the Australian press, just have a field day with these things. Yeah, of course they do. So in, this, in essence, what they're doing, they're defrauding their customers, aren't they? Yeah, it's um, unethical um, behaviour mm-hmm. uh, at, at the hands of these institutions and, um, and advisory businesses. It's really disappointing to see. I think it's really disappointing for those businesses that operate very, very well and this tarnish comes across and affects them. That's very disappointing. It would mean, though, that for us, where we've got a huge piece of financial uh, regulation coming through for advisors and advisory businesses, that's currently what's just been through Select Committee. It'll then go to its second reading in our parliament and should be completed for royal assent by the end of this year. It's going to mean that, well, I would believe that our government and our Minister of Commerce will take a firmer line on regulation rather than a softer laissez-faire approach. How does it get to that point, Nick, when it becomes a train wreck? I mean, bearing in mind that it's not a corner dairy, it's not a one-man operation, it's big time. How does it get there? Well, it gets there over a period of time by people saying, there's nothing to see here, move along, please. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, um, the regulator is has been ineffectual or under-resourced. Uh, it means that, you know, and the politicians have been lobbied hard by the big end of town, and they've basically... You know, just let everyone to believe that everything's working mm. well. You know, people are being well served and they defer these types of inquiries and commissions for a period of time. So this has been coming for a long time. Mm. Um, you know, this is not something just that appeared yesterday. Mm. Um, what are some of the short-term effects and the long-term effects for that matter on investors in those banks? Well, um, those, that is, those that receive financial advice from some of these institutions mm. that are currently before the Royal Commission, it's going to mean that um, 
going forward there will be a greater policing by the regulator of those businesses, of that financial advice. I would unfortunately say though that with more regulation comes more cost and ultimately as we know the consumer ultimately pays at the end of the day. Um, I think that it will also see that the quantum of capital or financial resource or quantity of investment required to get in, in financial advice will increase. How many years do you think it's going to take before people have a confidence in their bank that they had five years ago? Um, uh, what's come out in Australia, I think that will be quite some time. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and the Royal Commission of Inquiry, the reason why you haven't heard anything about it in our media over the last two weeks is that they're taking a break and in two weeks' time, the circus gets on the road again and doesn't finish until the end of September, and that's if they don't. That's if they don't extend it. So, the, you're going to read a lot more about financial services out yeah. of Australia, and then our media pick up on it and start running with the stories here. Are we going to rely on government intervention into financial institutions t- to make sure that they're on the straight and narrow, or will they internally? Get it right. Um, New Zealand mm. is uh, New Zealand institutions are arguing that they should better do that themselves here at the moment, and there's nothing to see. Let's all move along. Happy days. The fact is, though, that the regulator does have to get involved. Yeah. Isn't that what the Australians were saying? Nothing here to see. Happy days. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Although the uh, they, I would have to say that you know Australia is a heavily regulated financial services sector, and. They have, it's called ASIC over there, where uh, our regulator is called the FMA, Financial Markets Authority here. Um, Australia's, Australians do like to regulate more heavily than we do, um, but it, it would appear that even with regulation, people will bend the rules and they will be unethical in their behaviour and the regulator needs to muscle up and make it happen to look after consumers. And the investor get, do investors get compensation for what's happened? Through the banks or not? Um, occasionally, yes, that does happen. Um, but for the most part with these things, um, the amount of people that are affected with some of these um, scenarios that have played out mm. before the Royal Commission, you know, this, you know, some of the behaviour is quite perverse. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very sad to see. You'd be quite happy to say that, well, we're, we might have a few problems, but certainly nothing like that? Um, well, again, I, I made know. that earlier comment that if you go digging, you will yeah. find things. So, so I think for the New Zealand financial services sector and that kind of big end of town, where they have what's called a vertically integrated structure, where they manifest that the bank or institution manufactures product, they employ their own advisors who then recommend their own product. So that's where the vertical vertical integration comes from. You know, it's a vertical meal the whole way through. I think for New Zealand to say that we're different, uh, that would be naive. Um, and, you know, we do need uh, regulation and a, a decent amount of sunlight on this area as a disinfectant. If we come through your organisation for our advice and then you did uh, the digging for us mm. with the bank and said, OK, well, you know, we recommend that you do this, we'd be much better off, wouldn't we? Yes, well, the breakup of vertically integrated structures means that the consumer is receiving advice that is fit for purpose mm. because that advice is unbiased and independent uh, in nature. So, for example, if you're asking me, you know, what type of product um, would best meet your needs, well, I'm going to recommend a plan that happens to hold products, but that's going to be for your needs, not because I'm paid by an institution to solely sell their product. Will this be better for your type of business or people in business like you? Because, you know, you've been here for 32 years. 
You've got a great reputation, whereas we go to the bank, we don't know who we're getting on the day. Is, is that going to work for you? Um, yes, it will do. It's just that there are very, very few of us who yeah. are kind of a family-owned independent business and that, that are not vertically integrated. So, look, there are people around that are independent and fee-only, as we are. I mean, we're mm-hmm. fee-only for our um, investments, our wealth management, and that's really important. So for our clients, they know that the fees that are stated to them are the fees. There is no under the water, you know, brown envelope that's paid by an institution Mm. to us. What the client pays us is all that we earn. Now we're going to talk about a a subject which I'd never heard of until you sent me the notes, soft dollar remuneration. (laughs) What is a soft dollar? Well, um, so soft dollar is a little bit like we were talking just before about how people are compensated. So a soft dollar is where You are given, like as an advisor, you would be given an inducement in the form of it might be a trip, it might be tickets to a uh, a box at uh, Eden Park, Mm -hmm. or it may be some other non-monetary benefit. Mm -hmm. Now, look, unfortunately, this, this is very, very common in the insurance sector, and it's where you know, you'll notice that uh, a number of advisors go on a significant number of trips, and that is based on the volume of business they give to a particular product provider. Now, unfortunately, you know, going back to that earlier comment, that means that the advice has a taint to it sure. because when they are recommending something to you to solve your needs, in fact, they are helping their own needs because they may be just a few policies short on that trip. So, of course, sadly, it influences people's behaviour. And we've seen this played time at time and time again, both in New Zealand and offshore. It does affect people's behaviour and thus the advice they give to their client. I wonder, though, could we be still getting a good product even though someone is pushing it along and they're getting a bit of a, you know, two tickets, like I said, to uh, Eden Park. Could it still be that we're still getting a good deal? Yes, yeah, you could still be getting a good deal. But the question is, that would be, that's a byproduct of the nature of how the advice was given. So would you not prefer to go and work with someone where there was no, you know, uh, compensation that you were unaware of as the client? As the client, you want to know, with you want to know how the advisor is remunerated and what's in it for them because how can you equate value of the advice the value you receive from that advisor how can you equate value when you don't know cost sure and you want to know that that person's making a recommendation to you because they care about your financial welfare what happens though, Nick, when everyone's doing it, you know, um, I'll give you this, you know, here's a dozen bottles of French wine. Uh, if you put some business my way and all of a sudden the guy who's straight up and down like you guys are, you think, hang on, people aren't knocking on our door anymore. Maybe we need to get into this incentivized game as well. What happens there? Okay. Well, f- for a start, let me just say, um, our company decided in 2003, 15 years ago, that we would have what's called a no, no soft dollar policy. Mm-hmm. So we accept no inducements from any provider, which was just a blanket policy we put across the board for our firm. And that's just the way that we wish to play the game. Now, when, if using your analogy, if people stop knocking on the door, well, that means that we need to articulate our value proposition better. Mm-hmm. We need to explain to people. Now, that that's that angle from the advisor. 
but it's also very, very helpful when the regulator is coming along behind you with a broom. Yes. <laughs> and, and that is what the regulator published last week, where they disclosed the disappointing behaviour um, of a number of insurers um, around their soft dollar incentive schemes. I wonder, though, the $64,000 question, Nick, would have to be, how does the punter know that he's paying a soft dollar okay. part of his whatever he's paying? Well, it's a two-pronged attack. The Firstly, the, in, the, the financial needing public, they need to understand that they can ask for the disclosure of fees and remuneration. That's the key thing. But a lot of the, a lot of members of the public aren't aware that you can ask to see, you know, with that piece of advice that was provided by that financial advisor, what was in it for them. Okay. So that's the first thing. Educating people, lifting, lifting the knowledge of the community that they can ask for transparency of remuneration. And the other is that the strange three-tiered approach that we have for financial advice in New Zealand where Authorised financial advisors, of which on yes. one, it is mandatory that I have to disclose everything that I earn, and I think that is great. Then you have registered financial advisors who do not have to, to disclose their remuneration unless requested by the client, and then you've got um, these things called qualifying financial entities such as banks, etc., who have um, effective agents or employees that work for them, and again, they don't have to disclose unless requested. Now, going forward from around February next year, I expect, when the regulation takes effect, there will be one level playing field and there will be total disclosure of remuneration. Sounds great what you're saying. And I guess if we looked at on an A4 sheet and we read that, it would sound black and white. That looks great. But I, I might imagine if I came and said to you, Nick, can you show me your dis- disclosure? It might be that thick. Uh, and, yes, it, and who's going to read it? You know, <laughs> um, I, yeah, true. Well, I think I think part of it is the fact that even if it is lengthy in disclosure, that it is disclosed. But uh, look, I think coming through this new regulatory reform, the disclosure, the means of disclosure will be simplified, so that people can actually understand at both a dollar and percentage term the remuneration that's been paid by an institution or by the client directly to their financial advisor. The fact that all these guidelines are being put in place to protect the person who's borrowing the money or whatever, mm. does that mean that, in fact, it's going to be more expensive for us to buy the service anyway, so we might have been better off just so that a guy could go to Fiji and get his tickets or not? Um, look, it can come down to that, yes, that could occur, where someone uh, where the cost of financial advice does increase, but the way that we look at it is that you're better to have sound financial advice that is more costly than poor financial advice that has some possible phenomenal negative outcomes long term. So you're better to pay for quality advice rather than get some cheap advice where ultimately you're going to pay along the way. So in the main, what you might be suggesting here is that we need to come and see a qualified financial advisor like yourself rather than just bold up at the bank or go to the bank first and they say, okay, I'm going to take this to my friend Nick and get him to have a look at it. Look, whenever someone's dealing with a, a corporate institution where that institution is selling their product, getting a second opinion and having a chat to some people and ideally, yes, that would be a non-aligned financial advisor, someone that's independent, to kick the tires like a warrant of fitness, so to speak, to make sure that 
that the advice does resonate well with the goals and objectives and the needs of the client. I think that's really important because even if the advice was free from the institution, there is an underlying cost structure on how the advice was provided and the remuneration that goes to their in-house advisor. Along the way, someone is being paid. Mm. It is not free. No. So in the main, we're going to finish listening to this interview. We're going to say, well, who can we really trust? I mean, would we... Is our own Kiwi Bank any better than anyone else, or who do you trust, Nick? Who do you trust? Come on, tell <laughs> well, us you need to trust. find someone who's non-aligned, <laughs> someone who's in, who's independent, independent yeah, yep, and mm. someone who's prepared to to be um, fair and reasonable with the disclosure of their remuneration. I think that's absolutely paramount because, again, I use those words: How can you equate value when you do not know cost? Yes. So I would say to people, find someone who's independent and can give you a second opinion on what's been provided by a product provider. That the big end of town whereby the person giving you advice is directly employed by the product manufacturer. Because, you know, how can you know it's right if, if that particular organization both employs, disciplines, and provides the mm. product to the financial advisor? And, you know, vertically integrated structures globally, um, you know, it, 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 it is not ideal and it has caused a lot of problems through a number of the um, calamities that we've had in financial markets. Indeed. Just about our time, Nick, just to remind our listeners who want to come and see you for some good financial advice, where are you? Uh, we're at 204 Kadamu Road in Hastings, the big uh, two-story black basalt stone building with the tartan logo. You can't miss it. And your phone number there is 878-8961. As always, Nick, our pleasure. You look after yourself. We'll talk to the same time, same place next time. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a volunteer-based community access station. For more information, go to www.radiokidnappers.org.nz. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this program available through funding the Access Internet Radio Project.